We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is Greg Olson, and I'm thrilled to introduce my new podcast, TE1. TE1 will chronicle a 60-year evolution of the tight end position, from its origins as an obscure, overlooked blocking role to the versatile superstar position that it is today. I'll explore the evolution of the position through conversations with some of the all-time game-changing tight ends. And just like the incredible tight ends we sit down with on my new show, the Chevy Silverado is in a league of its own. This truck is all about grit, strength, and dependability. The same attributes it takes to be a tight end. Listen up. All you ever ask for is an opportunity. You got it today. Where else would you rather be than right here, right now? The Rock Pile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. Be aggressive. You have literally nothing to lose. You're a borderline football team. If I don't keep laughing about this stuff, my teeth are going to turn around and devour my brain. The Bills make me want to He's done it since the day he walked in here and just uh, so happy for him and his family. Uh, You know, it was a, you know, negotiations are never easy. It took us, took us a little time, but uh, as, as I said, way back when this will happen at the right time. And, and uh, I'm just, you know, I'm happy we got it done before the season. He can take that off his shoulders and just, just play free and, and, and know that, that he's got, you know, financial security for his family. And, and it is, it's exactly what you said, Heather, it's, uh, it's another, you know, way that we can show what we're doing here: draft, develop, re-sign, and and it's a commitment from the Pagulas to allow us. This is, um, you know, to pay a player number one at his position. Um, you don't get that opportunity often, uh, but Trey, you know, definitely earned that. And uh, but it starts with Terry and Kim giving us those resources. Welcome everybody to another edition of the Rock Power Report podcast. I am your host, Bill Season Ticket Holder Drew Gear. That's my producer, Chris Krueger, and that was Brandon Bean talking about the Trey White extension. You can go check out his full interview over at buffalobills.com. Chris, it's finally here. Game week. First week of real NFL football. Real, tangible NFL football in an actual stadium that we are not allowed to go to. Oh, don't get me started. I swear to God, I'm going to start throwing things. We have survived 2020 to this point. We deserve this, no? Chris, after all the bullshit 2020 has parked at our doorsteps, yeah. we've made it to week one of the NFL season. First of all... Cheers. Cheers. Cheers as we begin counting our beers. Ah, the first official beers of Beer Watch. This is going to be, oh, be fun this year, folks. We have a full slate out of us tonight. 
We've got Mr. Joe Caparoso of TurnOfTheJets.com and the Badlands Podcast, who's going to come on and help us preview our Week 1 matchup with the New York Jets. We've got breaking Bills news from the weekend, including Trey White's extension, including the roster cuts that took place. And Chris, tonight we're going to do something not seen on this podcast since 2016. Since 2016. Let's see if I can do better this time around. You see, folks... There's so much here to talk about, and it's, Chris, I feel like I can't do our listeners as much justice on these topics as I'd like to, so I've gone out and enlisted the help of some of those quote-unquote smart people that I'm always sort of sarcastically, but not really sarcastically referring to, the smart people. Bruce Nolan. Yo, brethren, what up with these? Surely I say unto you dudes, I do not wish to fight, so as soon as you apologize, and make a full reckoning of your transgressions. I shall absolve you and continue along the path of righteousness. Greg Thompson. You don't talk to me I like that. Believe I am a division manager. People are scared of me. The Smart, the Smart People People's Summit. Summit. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Bills fans everywhere, these guys need almost no introduction, but I'm going to do it anyway. Bruce Nolan of the Bruce Exclusive and the Buffalo Rumblings Podcast Network. You've got uh, Greg Thompson, host of Cover One Bills over at CoverOne.net. He's doing his show with Mr. Aaron Quinn, who's come out of retirement, owner of facial hair that I just can't help but make fun of. And you guys are the two who are two of the group that whenever I'm drinking and I have a point to make on this podcast... I tell our listeners that the quote-unquote smart people can give them the nuanced details and metrics and formulations of whatever the hell football concept I'm trying to extrapolate on. It's just one of those things. It's become a trope of our show. It's kind of a bit that we throw out there. And I'm, I'm we're going to try to do this, Chris, because the last time we had two people on simultaneously, I botched the hell out of that. Yeah, you're not good at this. <laughs> so we're going to try it here with a couple people who know a thing or two about football. Folks, we're going to start by talking about the Trey White extension. Now, the Trey White extension, which was alluded to earlier in the week by Jason Locke on four of CBS Sports, and almost nobody believed him, which yeah. was a funny thing to me. Nobody believes that man. It checks out. The news broke on Saturday afternoon to the exultation of Bills fans everywhere. How happy on a scale of 1 to 10? Like, how did you guys feel hearing that news? I'll defer to Bruce here as the cornerback and defensive back expert, but whatever Bruce says, I'm I'm 97% as excited as he was. Is 13 an option on the scale from 1 to 10? <laughs> Is that something we can do? Can I go as high as 13? I think we talked about this during your last appearance. According to Spinal I know, Tap... I don't think we ever got it really nailed down. Is 13 appropriate? Well, according to Spinal Tap, it can go to 11. Right, right. You know what? You're right. We already established this. Shame on me for not remembering. So I will <laughs> take this all the way scale. up to 11. I will absolutely take this up to 11. I think that not only the fact that it got done, but we'll get into some financial machinations of the deal a little bit later, but some of those are particularly exciting. In addition, it kind of solves a little bit of this low-level problem when we were discussing whether or not Trey White would get signed, you know, there was some discussion about what happened with Josh Norman in Carolina and whether or not maybe Sean McDermott, Brandon Bean, maybe they come from a particular stylistic standpoint of not wanting to pay top cover men because of the rescission of the franchise tag that happened under Brandon Bean's boss 
in Carolina, you wonder how much of Gettleman rubbed off on Bean. You know, obviously the trade up part of Gettleman certainly rubbed off on Bean. Hopefully there's other parts that did not. We were kind of hoping this was not one of the things that did. And that kind of puts kind of puts a bow on that. So I think a lot of questions got answered with the Tredavious White deal, and they got answered in a way that we feel good about as Bill's Mafia. Oh, absolutely. Now, listen, I, I'm, I was as happy as anybody else for Trey White, but my mind immediately wandered to Brandon Bean. I mean, after watching the guy do his job here over the last three years, I find it hard to imagine a world where he doesn't do that Vince McMahon, Conor McGregor strut, regardless of where he is. The halls of one Bill's drive, the grocery store, shirtless around the house, past his family. Or is, am I the only one who does that? I don't know. But the man is a savant. Now, philosophically, I think this resigning is important to what Bill's, what they're trying to build here. I mean, if this mantra, trust your process, is supposed to be bought into, and our staff makes a point of imploring to our players to quote-unquote do their 111th, I almost feel like those words can ring somewhat hollow if you don't go out of your way to reward the guys that do that not just at a high level compared to their peers on the roster, but at a level higher than most people in the NFL. Greg, when you think about it through a philosophical lens, how necessary was the signing of Trey White? So that's exactly the way I approached it when we talked about it on our show. And he's Aaron's favorite player, and Aaron's lobbied for him as the most talented player on the team since the moment he walked in the door. And the combination of what it creates, the message message it sends, not only internally, but externally. So internally, it's, hey, this is a guy who fully bought in. He's been there with the messaging. He's been there with the performance, with the work ethic, with everything that goes along with it. And then externally, you show that, hey, if you get drafted to Buffalo, that used to be getting sent to Siberia. Now, if you get drafted to Buffalo, you can play your butt off, make Pro Bowl, make all pro and be paid the highest at your position in NFL history. That's an enormous message to send to the players union, to other agents. And what it creates is an environment that sounds cheesy when Sean McDermott says it, but where you can go to become your best self. And when you do that and you get paid, it's crazy to think that people don't notice. And to piggyback that onto what Bruce said, when we get into the numbers here, the fact that they were able to check those boxes, do all the things I just said, and they barely inched over that line like the Brandon Bean only had to go over that line by $250,000 just barely had to inch over but Trey still got to wave that tweet around all day saying highest paid cornerback in NFL history it it was the greatest win-win you could possibly imagine I made a case on my show that I didn't care if it ended up needing to be an extra two or two and a half million, I said, all you people complain about the Patrick DeMarco and Lee Smiths and Tyler Matakevich's of the world. That's what this costs. If that's the difference for us to keep, uh, you know, Trey White forever, then so be it. We, we got all of those boxes checked and got it at the best possible market price. So I'm, I'm listening to you talk and I'm sitting here and I'm thinking about this. <sighs> This was a deal to get the highest, like you said, even if it's just for a day or two, he gets to be the highest cornerback and highest paid cornerback in football. And usually when you're talking about market setting deals, they don't get done without a, a lot of public acrimony, a lot of public leveraging. It just seems like that's become the soup du jour when you're trying to get contracts negotiated over the last few years. 
I think social media has something to do with that. I think that agents have become a little more aggressive in leaking things to the press in terms of negotiation details. So to see something like this get done with no acrimony, in fact, almost no one knew about it until Wednesday of this past week, and all of a sudden the news breaks over the weekend. Bruce, how important is that aspect of this resigning? I think that really comes back to the types of players that you're bringing in, in general. You know, when you listen to Tredavious White talk about what this represents to him, it's not so much the money for Trey. It's about what the money represents, what the money represents for him to be able to do with his family in his community. What is the plan of the money? It's not money for the sake of money. It's money so that they can say they achieved something. He can say for one second, hey, I was the highest paid corner in NFL history for a brief second. So it matters something from an achievement standpoint. And then it matters from an execution standpoint, which is what I can do with the money. And so when you draft those types of people, you have a tendency to set yourself up for less acrimony in the future. And that really comes back to the method of acquiring. If you draft somebody who is very, very talented and is known for being a little bit of a problem, then you cannot be surprised when three years down the road, when he's itching for an extension, he becomes a little bit of a problem. Like that, that's part of this. And obviously, you hope that the culture is able to modify people's behavior to the point where they're able to, you know, fall in line. The Patriot way, of course, is something that always comes up for things like that. But it really comes back to that, that if you want to have less acrimonious contract extensions, number one, be straight with people. And Brandon Bean has talked about that from the very beginning. He's talking about always being straight with people. Just be honest with people. Every year, there's a Sports Illustrated article or an ESPN article about agents openly talking about their relationships with teams and who they believe can be trusted and who they do not believe can be trusted. And over and over again, you see the same people as far as competency levels and incompetency levels show up on those lists because Agents know, hey, if this GM tells me that this is going to happen, it's probably not going to happen because they're known to be a horrible liar. And so <laughs> that was something that Brandon Bean has been talking about all the time. He goes, listen, when you have to cut somebody, when you have to sign somebody, whatever it is, it's just better to be honest with them at all times. So everyone knows where they're at. So part of it is on Brandon Bean. The other part of it is the players that you acquire. And if you acquire people who are necessarily built and wired the way that Trey White is, then those two things in concert have a tendency to get kind of less acrimonious when it comes to contact negotiations. Now, I tweeted at both of you last Friday when reports of the talks fizzling out first broke. Lock and Forest tweet kind of set people on fire, and there was our friend Joan Marino from the Lockdown Bills. He went out of his way to be like, hey, well, here's some other things Lock and Forest has been wrong about <laughs> in the past, so take this with a grain of salt. And as you and Greg were talking about this, which actually kind of precluded you guys joining us tonight, I I reached out to just express how badly the Bills needed to beat New Orleans to the table with their signing of Marshawn Lattimore to an extension. Lest we end up like the Cowboys this past summer, who struggled to retain a, a running back, a quarterback, and a wide receiver simply because they were slow. They were slow, and I think they underestimated the greed that those players... I don't want to call it greed, because you never want to call a guy who's trying to get what he thinks is fair market value paid. You don't want to call that player greedy. He's just trying to get his. But I guess they didn't anticipate that Zeke would kind of jump his spot in the line. And I don't think that they anticipated that Dak would say, hey, I want an ast- not not just the, the highest paid quarterback. I want astronomical money on top of that, because that's what I think I'm worth. How important was it for the Bills to get out in front of that? 
Well, I mean, the the position they put themselves in, it's very likely that we're going to see Marlon Humphrey go for 18 and a half and Marcus Latimer go for 19 and Jalen Ramsey be on the table for 19 and a half and say, no, I want 20 just on principle. And I don't know that Trey would have been the last move, but if Marlon Humphrey got signed before Trey, Trey would have won up him by half a million dollars. And if both Marlon Humphrey and Marcus Lattimore did, Trey would have won up them by another half a million dollars. So you're spot on that the timing saved us, I'm going to say at minimum $1 million. And if we're not lucky that somebody does a crazy move, like look what happened when all of a sudden Miles Garrett went to 25 and then the Chargers just out of nowhere went, yeah, we're going to get both a $27.5 million. Per year? What in the world are they doing? And now all of a sudden, every pass rusher that comes up is going to say, uh, yeah, that's what I want. <laughs> well, yeah, you set the table. Now I'm, I'm going to come to it, sit down, and expect my plate to get filled. Yeah, so, so, so those checkboxes I talked about was just unbelievable that they got all those things. They got all the good publicity. They got all the things that are out there of waving the flag around that, hey, the highest paid corner in NFL history is a homegrown guy who wanted to stay in Buffalo, and we got it for – I'm going to guess it's going to end up being $2.5 million a year cheaper than Jalen Ramsey. So now this is where I, myself, is the smarter than the average fan, but still willing to admit that I'm a drunken idiot half the time. I'm willing to, I need to defer to some people who understand the ramifications of a deal like this more. Because here we are talking about what a great deal it is in average annual value compared to what he would have been if we had waited behind these other players. And as I watched you both celebrate this move on social media, I see a tweet from Nate Geary that comes WGR 550's Nate Geary, who says, the money they just saved on Trey should help them resign Milano, which is just crazy. Now, I, I guess that's the thing. When I see all these tweets talking about how the deal itself is advantageous for the team going forward, Bruce, how exactly does this deal affect the Bills' future cap as it kind of pertains to keeping some of these other tentpole players that they've drafted? So the first thing you have to understand about this contract is that it is, is an extension. It is four years on top of the two that he already had, which means that the cap hits for the next two years are affected, but they are only affected by those two years representing some proration of the signing bonus, whatever that is, that he signed at the time of the contract. So his cap hit for this year is cap hit for next year. They're going to go up, but they're going to go up relatively small compared to the way that it's going to jump after the fifth year option. So if you have his annual salary for this year, his annual salary for next year, both of those are going to be increased by probably one fifth. Greg was kind enough for me. I accidentally wrote six year proration on uh, social media. He was kind enough to not call me out for that because signing bonuses can only be prorated over five years. Thank you for that, Greg. And, you know, so you have one fifth of the signing bonus that's going to be prorated each in every single year. So this year, next year, and then moving forward, there'll be a little proration. But the average annual value doesn't jump until year three. So what you have there is if you have something where historically Greg and I have talked about Brandon Bean utilizing roster bonuses to take a lot of his medicine up front to be able to get cap flexibility on the back end of these contracts. If you wanted to do something like that with a Matt Milano contract for next year, Brandon Bean was on WGR earlier this morning and talking about, hey, the Milano contract probably not going to happen this year. It would be, I'm not saying never say never, but you know, it's, it's, it's probably unlikely, probably better for us to do that next year. So if you wanted to do something like that next year and he wanted to front load the crap out of it by having it be a significant roster bonus year one where you sign the contract and you get a smaller ish 
signing bonus. And then four days later, you end up getting a fat roster bonus, which takes all of your medicine early on so that they can take the massive cap hit on the Milano deal before the average annual value of Tredavious White's jumps in year three. They can do that. That's part of contract layering. That's part of contract staggering because Trey White is going to have increases in cap hits. But the big increase in cap hit, the all the way jump to 17 and a half million plus whatever the proration is of the signing bonus for year three, four and five, that stuff's not going to happen till year three. So that's the way you can kind of use the financial machinations of the Tredavious White deal to then plan other things around it. And one of the things that comes along with Tredavious White is going to be the highest played player on this team, hopefully, hopefully until Josh Allen signs his fat contract. So because of that, once you have your big tentpole contract established like Tredavious White, now you can kind of start to weave things in around it. Well, and the only thing that I would add to that, that I think Nate's was a little bit of a reach in that it created the space to allow for it. But I will say the the combination that I described where if he went fourth out of those four cornerbacks, we probably do get basically a $2.5 million coupon that if we budgeted for $11 million and we pay him $13.5 million, it nets out with what it could have been for Trey. So you could probably count it as a small coupon, but it ain't going to cover the difference of what we need for <laughs> Milano. There's going to be a lot of other machinations needed next year to make that happen. Well, now, and as you talk about that, because I'm a guy who, listen, I've been in love with what Brandon Bean has done from a frugality standpoint. He's a relatively shrewd guy. Contractual gangster. Contractual gangster is the coin is the the phrase term. we use here. He, um, the Quentin Spain deal at $5 million blew my mind. At that point, I was like, okay, he's either, he's either part of, uh, he's either part of a family somewhere out of Chicago, or, I mean, Bean doesn't sound Italian, but I guess he could have married into it. Who knows? But when you look at the things he's been able to do, the deals he's been able to work, the contract structures he's been able to strike with people that nobody thought was possible, or at least most people, when you look at them, how many how many of these two year deals he's been able to manufacture that really aren't two year deals, or three year deals that aren't three year deals? He, every negotiation he goes into, it comes out team friendly. When's the last time? We'll start with you, Greg. That you saw any Bills GM act like they knew what to do when it came to negotiating at the table? Oh, so for me, it's literally never because. At any point that that was an actual skill, we were not in the position to retain talent where it mattered. So, you know, all the Bill Super Bowl run was pre-salary cap and pre-free agency. It crumbled and fell apart right as that happened, as you started to have the Thurman Thomases and Bruce Smiths of the world kind of sold off for parts. Um since then, we've had short runs where you saw some creativity. They had that season they put together with Bledsoe. There's been a couple creative deals here or there. Any, we've had some not terrible deals that fell apart because of health or mental health. You know, you had decent deals in Eric Wood and, and Richie Incognito that crumbled. But the combination of what it puts together and how he's able to layer that, you know, next year you have all these things that people keep talking about, all the guys who can possibly be cut. And everybody rattles off John Brown and Jerry Hughes and Vernon Butler and Quentin Jefferson. And it cracks me up because people are so beaten into submission that the only alternative anyone can envision from a Bills fan standpoint is what is the least painful cut that I can make to be able to create cap space. Because that's all we know. That's the only reality we're even able to conceive of. 
well, step back for a minute. All these other deals that you see all over the league where Mike Evans restructures salary into a prorated option bonus to create cap space, and Ben Roethlisberger's done it three different times, and uh, all these different moves, we get to start doing that stuff now. We, we get to start creating space out of nowhere that, hey, next year you're going to hear that you know Mitch Morris's 7.025 base salary has been converted into an option bonus and kicked forward into the future. And that you know there's all these different pieces that, oh, a second year has been added to John Brown's salary, but at a lower deal to retain him and spread out the hit over two years. They don't have to release people. They can now do the fun, creative salary cap moves that other teams do that we never had the talent to do because it was always better to cut Charles Clay and to get rid and to trade off Marcel Darius for six cents on the dollar now we're going to get to see brandon bean convert from unbelievable talent acquisition from a value standpoint to now salary cap gymnastics to limbo under it and i can't wait to see what he does next i've got to tell you this is an example of something we've already seen from brandon bean so if you want to look into the future on what he's going to do look at the tyler croft restructure look at the look at the star latula restructure we know what kind of things that he does. And it's not always a straight, hey, salary to signing bonus, and now we can't cut this guy for the, for the rest of the time because we screwed it up. And we've heard our flexibility later for some flexibility now. It's not that simple. With Tyler Croft, it was, hey, I'm going to lower your cap hit and guarantee you money in exchange for cutting a year off of your deal so you can hit free agency early again. That's not a standard, what we call a simple restructure. That's a creative way to be able to have your cake and eat it too and be able to have the player feel like they won too. Talikoff's like, hey, I don't have to uproot my family. I get to play one more year here. I'm healthy. I get to show what I can do. I can hit free agency again, and I don't have to worry about getting cut this year. And that's part of the whole being honest with players thing I mentioned earlier. And so Brandon Bean's already shown us what type of restructuring he can do when he needs to free up cast base. And it's not always just a simple, hey, I'm going to take salary and convert it to a signing bonus. And so there's going to be opportunities like that for players down the line. And the fact of the matter is that as the culture gets better, as you start to win better, you're going to have more options available to you because players are going to be more willing to work with you because you were honest with them. Well, and, that's, and that's the way agents are going to be. And it, this stuff all just kind of creates a positive buzz. Sean McDermott said the number one thing he was proud about was the way that the Buffalo Bills are perceived now versus the way they were perceived when he got here. That trickles into this kind of thing. And so when Brandon Bean has more options because of the way the team is perceived to do that are going to be restructures, but aren't necessarily going to be putting us in Saints or Rams level cap jail forever, where I think the Saints might be negative 70 million next year. Well, and that's the hilarious part about all this is that you've watched teams like the Rams, like the Saints, like all these teams who've decided we're going to go for it, quote unquote. They fall short. And then they end up in this the, the just hell where we've lived, except we never even had a chance to compete. We weren't even competitive and we were in cap jail. We, we just got the cap hell portion. That's it. And this guy showed up and over the course of three to four years has somehow turned our front office from the laughing stock of the football league to something that now I guarantee you 10 years from now. Teams will be looking back and doing case studies on how Brandon Bean turned around this franchise. Teams are going to be putting this model up there. They're going to say, look, you got to follow what this guy's doing. And it doesn't sound like rocket science, it, it, but it does. And to Bills fans, it seems like something that was impossible that he's done. I mean, 
friend of the show, Mark Schofield. We always, he's a history nerd. We always talk about historical nonsense. We throw some jokes around. One of the things I was, I was joking around with him is that to me, Brandon Bean, we talk about him being a contractual gangster, but after watching this, the, the Trey White deal and all the things that he's done for us, he's become Hannibal in my mind. For those of you who don't know, Hannibal, he was from leader of the armies of Africa, uh, Carthage to be exact, and said that you know, he was going to fight Rome. And everyone goes, you can't fight Rome. How are you going to do this? And he says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to devise the most, it's, it's going to sound ludicrous, but I'm going to take this uh, my armies w- driven by elephants and I'm going to walk them over the mountains that separate <laughs> Africa into Rome and I'm going to go to war. And everyone said, you're a lunatic. It'll never work. And he did it. He did it. And then he wiped out generations of Romans. We always talk about Rome kind of, we use that as like a symbol of the Patriots franchise with him. And I, last year I talked about, I'm like, you guys are seeing the, the Visigoths kind of circling, <laughs> getting ready for the sack of Rome as Tom Brady's leaving town. It's coming. Maybe Brandon Bean's the guy. Just by, by nature of being the only competent GM in the AFC East outside of what the Patriots have done for over 20 years. He's the only contender. He's the only one who stepped up to the plate and looked like he knows what the hell he's doing. Chris, it's with that that I raise a glass. We right. not only have a GM who knows what the hell he's doing, but we've got an all-pro quarterback for the first time in decades. My son is going to be in kindergarten before we have to consider what to do next at quarterback one on a deal that'll make the ladies' toes curl. I think we all owe him a debt of gratitude for that. Sorry, I was I was photoshopping Brandon Bean on top of an elephant with an awesome helmet. <laughs> As you should, sir. And so now switching gears, and this is the part where I really need your guys' help. We're talking about roster cuts in the final 53-man roster. The two of you did a joint podcast that aired last Friday where you compared the final 53-man roster machinations, how you thought they would fall, things you agreed on, disagreed on, the way you figured that the team would go at various position groups. I don't have the time, patience, or imagination for those types of things. I just don't. It was an interesting listen because it gave me an idea of the things you each prioritized in a Bills roster and what you were each kind of speculating and hoping for. And on Saturday, the whole thing went live and there was certainly some drama to be had. I mean, I got my wish. There will be no more seam passes into double coverage to a fullback in 2020. We literally, as we record this podcast, got a direct, got a DM from Mark, uh, Mike Swenson from Australia that just reads, sad to see our deep threat DeMarco get waived. Team Captain and Josh Young will need someone else to go to go deep to now. So quick uh, quick quiz. Who's the fastest person in the running back room for the Bills roster right now? Is Reggie Gilliam in the running back room? Because it's Reggie Gilliam. <laughs> yes, I got it. Because he's at me. Than Zach Moss and Devin Singletary. So we actually could go deep to our fullback again. And I don't give two. Am I allowed to say swear words? Don't. Yeah. yeah. It, so <laughs> I don't give two shits what they label him as on the roster. The man's a fullback. I watched all of his film in college after we got him. He's a fullback. They can list him a tight end all they want. They can say H-back. That's what he is. He has flexibility. He can do other things. He can be a slash, slash, slash guy. But he puts his hand in the dirt in the backfield and lead blocks to pay his bills. 
and now he's going to be able to do it significantly faster than well, Patrick Merkley. And, it, and it's funny you mentioned Reggie Gilliam, Gilliam because is faster than Duke Williams and Isaiah Hodgins. <laughs> <sighs> a word that got thrown around in that podcast by both of you a ton: chicanery. Yeah, yeah, because you're smart. Because you're so fucking smart. You're so much smarter than everybody else, Mister SAT words. Chicanery was a word that got thrown around in your podcast a lot, and it certainly took place with the whole Gilliam being kept as a tight end to pull double duty with the the, the IR things, the the cutting. Yeah, the of, double swap this year. They did a double Kirk Coleman. They cut him. The cutting and then IR and then return of uh, Pro Bowl kick returner Andre Roberts. So with all of this in mind, let's wrap on a little. First of all, for each of you, I'm going to start with you, Bruce. Least favorite decision of cutdown day? Absolute slam dunk. It's keeping Jake Fromm. Not even. It's not even debatable. I don't think Jake Fromm provides this team almost any value at all. I'd rather have the empty roster spot and pull up Davis Webb if necessary as a third quarterback. Why do you think they went Fromm over Webb? I believe, I believe Brandon Bean when he says that he didn't want to cut Jake Fromm without getting a chance to see him play in a game first. And I also think that when you spend an asset on a player, you are naturally inclined to believe that someone else was willing to spend an asset on that player too. That's part of the reason you spent it. If you thought that no one was willing to spend an asset on Jake Fromm, you wouldn't have done it. You would have assumed he was going to fall all the way out of the draft and signed him as an undrafted free agent. So the idea that you as a franchise spent a fifth round pick on him would naturally lead you to believe that someone else would be willing to spend an asset on him. And if that's the case, then you would naturally think that he would be less likely to be passing through waivers than someone like Davis Webb, who was picked up off the street and off the practice squad and was available for everybody quite a bit over the last couple of years. So if you have to pick one, you're going to pick one who you think might have more value across the league. Now, Greg has done an exceptional job of showing that the vast majority of the time these players don't get claimed. Very, very, very rarely do they ever get claimed. But when you have a draft pick this particular year at the most important position in football that you feel like has value, you're going to pick the person that you think the rest of the league doesn't value as highly, which is the player that you picked up off the street. In this case, Davis Webb. Which he also did never see play in a game. Exactly, who you've also never seen playing the game. <laughs> well, here, but uh, apparently they they uh, they that, know that what only they applies have to the one side. Yeah, yeah. Here, let me defend. Let, let me to the guys I drafted. Right. Let me defend. And, um, let me defend keeping Jake Fromm here. All right. This is right, why this this is why keeping Jake Jake Fromm was a good thing. Brandon being keeping Fromm on the roster solidifies that Nate Geary has to drink two Seagrams on this podcast next time he comes on. Okay, that, that's fine. I'm good with that. Yeah, I'm good with that. Clearly, clearly, Brandon Bean was in on this from the beginning, and you got text, and he texted him and said, "Listen, dude, if you if you keep uh, Jake Fromm, Nate Geary's got to take two Seagrams." And he was like, "Hell yeah, man, let's do this!" <laughs> and you know, he slapped on his sunglasses and started strolling through the thing. There was explosions behind him. He was walking in slow motion. I'm telling Genesis you, that's how playing. the man walks around. I I, sh- I shit you not. I that's how I picture him grocery shopping, which is a strut. The man has a in struck. a full suit. Yeah, in a full well. suit. In a, oh, in a full suit. He probably walks around the house. He wears in a, a full suit, suit to bed, like Barney Stinson. <laughs> he gets out of bed and he just has a suit on. Oh, absolutely. Now you're, that's my least favorite decision. It's keeping Jake from. Now, Greg, if you had a least favorite move, the the, the thing that the Bills did that just just you looked at and go, "What the hell, guys? 
What is it? So it's hard to go elsewhere. That is, in my opinion, the right decision. Now, looking at it, I'm debating. I I think there's a couple different things I would have liked to have seen uh, an additional defensive back. Um, I was a little surprised that we went. I don't think that I, I like the story of Delshawn Phillips. I don't want to crap on that at all. That's fun. It's fun to have a guy make the roster that literally everyone got wrong. No one in any projection or discussion anywhere projected to make the roster. That's kind of fun. And I think that that even has some intrinsic value of the message that it sends. And I think the locker room gets behind stuff like that. I don't know that he offers so much on special teams that couldn't have been offered by Brian Allen or Dane Jackson or Cam Lewis. And that I would have liked to have seen a 10th defensive back just because our number one and number two right cornerbacks are both kind of gimpy at the moment. And if they both tweak those same hamstrings during the game, now we're SOL. So I, I do hope, and you guys have all discussed it, how infuriating it is when we dress four cornerbacks. I'm hoping that doesn't happen and that we dress all of them every game. Um, but I would have leaned that way. But the right answer is Jake Fromm because it also confuses me as well. See, I, I, have, I have a different one. And it's keeping Taiwan Jones. Taiwan Jones is in much... Somewhere Aaron is cursing you. He is I as much an... I, I will listen, fight you Aaron on Taiwan Jones. Listen, I'll tell you this. You and you and Aaron can both go to hell. Aaron has a chin strap, but he's bald. It's literally... <laughs> I say this all the time. Aaron Quinn, if you're out there listening to this, your facial hair is like someone building a staircase in their house that leads to the ceiling and nowhere else. <laughs> That's it. It's a staircase to nowhere. You have no hair. Shave it off. With that said... Taiwan Jones is as much an NFL running back as Chris. That's it. He's He's got a long history of being a special teams player. Sure, great, wonderful. So did Senoris Perry, and we saw how that turned out. Or we didn't, because you didn't notice an impact, a meaningful impact the guy made on the field, which is why he's not here. If you wanted a special teams player, why not keep Foster? He at least has some proven ability to contribute on the football field in a pinch. Jones, what has he done? What has he done that says to you, this is a guy I have to have on my football team? Okay, well, let's start with that. First off, Taiwan Jones is a markedly better player than Sonoris Perry ever Correct. dreamed of being. Sonoris Perry was, was a special teams player, but not really as good as Taiwan Jones. Taiwan Jones has made a name in this league. He stuck around for nine years specifically because of how good of a gunner he is. Heath Farwell has gone on record as saying that between Taiwan Jones and Saran Neal, the Bills might have the best punt gunners and kick gunners in the game. That's how good he is. Secondly, there is a certain amount of structure that comes along with roster building. I, I'm assuming you have the same problem with Tyler Matakavich. Am I right? Oh, don't get me started. He's not a linebacker. Yeah. Okay. So the, when you have these special teams players... When you have these special teams only players, you need to slot them somewhere and without a roster imbalance. You can't have Robert Foster as a wide receiver with your with your seventh wide receiver spot and have him play for special teams because that means you have to activate him every week. And if you have to activate him every week, then that's a wide receiver you now cannot activate. So you need to have a backup plan position. And for Matakevich, it's a backup plan. Now, granted, it's a break, ga- break class in case of emergency backup plan because 
hopefully he never plays linebacker and hopefully Taiwan Jones never plays running back. But if they have to, you have to create roster balance. You can't have all of your special teams players be corners. You can't have all of them be wide receivers. You can't have all of them be linebackers. You have to have a mix so that you can have these these special teams players without sacrificing depth of these positions on the active game day roster. So number one, Taiwan Jones is markedly better than Sonoris Perry. And number two, having him and being able to keep three running backs active on game day, one of which is Taiwan Jones, allows you to have the one-two punch that you want at running back while still being able to retain a break glass in case of emergency running back, as opposed to if that same player was Robert Foster, then you run into issues if you have two injuries at the running back position because now you only activated two running backs because you had to activate Robert Foster as a wide receiver. And so those things happen. When you have special teams as your primary function, then that's great and that's fine. You just can't have too many of them and you can't have them imbalanced in the roster. Okay, so you... And another piece, uh, real quick, I I think people... Because you're not alone, Drew. I I get this complaint constantly, whether people go down the path for Andre Roberts or whoever they go after, Matikevich, uh, uh, Taiwan Jones, are all very common examples. Honestly, Daryl Johnson should be because people certainly think more highly of his defensive skills than they should. Any of those different pieces what else do people want? Because the alternative is someone is going to play special team snaps and we're going to have players who are good at offense and defense. So is it just this hidden desire that, hey, just in case I want them to be able to chip in there as well, but I don't actually want them to play because that would mean that the starter who's better than them isn't playing. So I don't want Matt Milano playing special teams. I, I don't want Tremaine Edmonds playing special teams. I want the guys that aren't starting to play special teams, what do I care if the guy who isn't starting only plays special teams and is really, really good at that, so when he's on the field, he's very skillful, or, well, he's not quite as good as special teams, but just in case something happened to the guy in front of them, I'd feel a little better. Okay, do you want to know why I care? Do you want to know why I care? Here we go. <laughs> is okay. it alcohol-related? Yes. <laughs> yes, of course it is. Is, is there most of the things that happen over here at the Rock Pile Report? It is alcohol-related, and I'll explain I'm disappointed, and this ties into my favorite decision, as much as I begrudgingly have to say it, my favorite decision from Cutdown Day. I'm disappointed in this release of Robert Foster, yet the keeping of a guy like uh, Taiwan Jones, mostly because this makes not one, but two Seagram's bets I've managed to lose on the man in a single year. One single calendar year. So Chris, I want you to open the fridge, I want you to hand me a Seagram's so I can take my medicine. Damn! Ooh, what flavor? I got a lot of flavors. Do you have a prep? Oh my god, the the least Wait, pink I, one. I, I'd like you to read a couple of them because I'm not familiar with we, the flavors of Seagrams. I'd like to lobby a vote. We have a uh, wild. I feel like Greg and I should get to pick your yeah. flavor of Seagrams. Yeah, I'll allow it. Yeah, well, that's a lot. We have Jamaican me happy. Wild, wild berries. So, wait, uh, sorry, I started laughing after the Jamaican me happy. <laughs> Jamaican me happy, wild berry, passionate fruit mango. We have a like a classic lime margarita. Uh, we got strawberry strawberry daiquiri. There's a Calypso cooler in there. Yeah. Oh, good Lord. Yeah, those are what you got to okay, choose Greg. from. I, I mean, he had me at Jamaican Me Happy. <laughs> All right. We're, we're going we're gonna to pick it on three. Are you ready, Greg? <laughs> One. Ready? Here we go. One, two, three. Jamaican, Jamaican Me Happy. happy. <laughs> there it All is. Right. All right. <laughs> hand, hand me this pink nonsense. So before I get to work here, my favorite decision of the roster cutdown is that both rookie wide receivers made the roster. 
Now, I know that I'm pissed about the release of Robert Foster along special teams lines, but after looking around at what I felt like was mostly a list of foregone conclusions, considering how much veteran talent the Bills landed in the free agency period, especially on the defensive side of the ball, and just how many holes, how many, how few holes, I should say, this team had before the draft, there was still a long-term plan at wide receiver that I couldn't see. We've talked about it in this podcast. The Bills are currently third in wide receiver spending in the entire NFL. And yet, we've had one, maybe two 1,000-yard wide receivers throughout the last 20 years. 17, throughout the lifetime of the drought, we only had one, and that was Stevie Johnson. We've never had a premier talented wide receiver, and right now what we have is a number one wide receiver who... Is you know that he's good. You just don't know if that's going to translate to being good with this quarterback. You have one wide receiver who has a 1,000-yard season under his belt as the number one wide receiver on this team with this quarterback that gives you some confidence in John Brown. And you've got, what, Isaiah McKenzie, who I some people were lobbying not even to make this roster. I don't like him. There was a lot of names being thrown around. Duke Williams was one of them. Everyone, some people wanted him, some people didn't. And I think that speaks to how little future there was at this wide receiver position. There wasn't a long-term plan, and it's still wild to me that we're spending this much. And so with that in mind, this the thing that this team needed, considering the youth movements that you've seen in the, the front seven with the young linebackers, young defensive line talent, the young tight ends that they've brought in, they still needed to do it at the wide receiver position. And you could have made a case for cutting both Gabe Davis and Isaiah Hodgins. You could have made a case for cutting both of them. And instead, whether they turn out to be long-term contributors or not, that's yet to be decided. But I like that this front office said, look, we have two assets. They're young, they're cost-controlled, and we believed that they had enough upside to, to take them in the draft. We want to see them involved. We want to see them at our disposal to try to groom for the future because we don't always want to have to just continue paying premier money for this skill position. It it just made me feel good about the direction of our scouting personnel and how our GM understood that there's a long-term need for development there. And so with that in mind, that was my favorite decision. You two go with yours. I'm going to start with you, Bruce, while I chug this Jamaican me happy pink nonsense. My favorite decision was probably keeping Reggie Gilliam. I, I, I have lobbied before that I don't think cutting off the option of having a fullback is necessarily a bad thing. I just think having a bad fullback is a bad thing. I don't think fullbacks are intrinsically stupid to have on your roster. The most efficient personnel grouping in football last year was 21 personnel. Out of passing and running. This idea that somehow fullbacks are useless, I think, is just not supported by any reasonable data. Now, I will say having a bad fullback is bad because having a bad anything is bad. And if you only have one player of that type on your roster and that player is bad, then that's that's less than ideal. Having somebody who gives us a little bit more flexibility at that position because they have a little bit more athleticism is beneficial. Patrick DeMarco was lauded coming out of South Carolina for his versatility, but he didn't have the athleticism to be able to have that athleticism, sorry, that the versatility translate to the next level. So for me, keeping Reggie Gilliam, at least having the option of having 21 personnel, is always better. I don't think you know cutting off your nose to spite your face 
is really a good thing as an offensive coordinator. Having more options is better than having less options. If you remember correctly, Patrick DeMarco was a huge part of the week one game plan last year against the New York Jets. Flexing him out wide, bringing him in, allowed Josh Allen to identify coverages and keep them in base personnel. That was one of the things that was beneficial of having 21 personnel that you're not going to get from 12. You're not going to get it from 11. You're not going to get it from 10. These are the things that having a fullback gets you against specific defenses. And allowing your offense to just not have that as an option, I didn't think was a good idea. So I was very, very pleased that we kept Gilliam, mostly not because I'm a massive Gilliam fan and I'm, I'm beating down the door for Reggie Gilliam because I simply want to have the option. And now we do. I so just, I'll add to, I, I like both of your decisions. I think that Bruce brought up a point earlier that the, the term that I use constantly on the show and that I praise uh, Brandon Bean for is contract layering. He does fantastic with that. If you look at when the defensive line contracts expire of the guys who are signed versus this similar player at their position who's in a rookie contract and when their contract expires, the timing is magical. And the same thing with adding in Isaiah Hodgins, who doesn't seem like a logical replacement for Cole Beasley, but he is. He's just a big slot like a David Nelson instead of a shifty slot like a Julian Edelman. Um, and having Gabe Davis be the logical replacement for John Brown. It's perfect. And he did it and layered it perfectly. Um, Another point that I I love Bruce's uh, fullback deep dive. If you guys haven't listened to that, please give it a a listen. It gives a great explanation of why to be excited about Reggie Gilliam. I'll go more on the emotional side of it. I love the fact that he made the right football decision and that some of the things that if anyone's going to give Sean McDermott more than Brandon Bean, but both McDermott and Bean, if they're going to give anyone a hard time, it's maybe leaning a little too much into leadership, culture, locker room fit, and all the different voices in the room. And I think that it's critical. And you can't decouple the turnaround they've made on this roster without giving a great amount of credit of having the right kind of people. But if you're going to give a fall, it's that sometimes maybe they give up a little too much on the talent side because of that. I love seeing that they didn't lean into that, that they made the right football decision and were willing to take the more talented player than someone who was a team elected captain only 12 months ago. Uh, So I love that fit. My favorite was hands down keeping Trent Murphy and that, I think that it was the exact same idea as Reggie Gilliam and Patrick DeMarco, but in this weird upside-down world where people just assume development, and they just assume that the younger guy must have gotten better and made the expensive player who wasn't a value, which Trent Murphy isn't. He was overpaid. But that all of a sudden, magically, Daryl Johnson or AJ Epinesa or whoever made him expendable and that I kept yelling at people, I'm like, I, I just watched their games. Watch how they closed out the season. Not only is is he the better football player, it's not close. He is the superior football player to either of those guys right now. And that's great. If they develop into so much in this training camp or preseason that they made Trent Murphy expendable, like Devin Singletary did to LaShawn McCoy last year, awesome. But if they don't, he is the superior talent. I want the superior talent on the field. Our other two defensive ends are 31 and 32. Don't cut us short. So I I love that move, and I thought it was the right football move. And I touched on it earlier with the, you know, 
salary cap wizardry we're about to see, there are lots of other moves he can make besides just lopping heads off next spring. I'll bet anybody, whatever they want, we're going to retain Matt Milano, and there's going to be six other moves that you don't expect right now that he's going to be able to pull off that we're going to add other free agents to, and he's going to have a normal offseason because he's going to make the other moves we keep seeing the New Orleans and the you know, New England's and the Minnesotas of the world figure out every year. We're like, oh my God, they're in salary cap hell. They're never going to get out of this. And then they go and try to sign freaking Jadavian Clowney and add all these other talents. But magically, it doesn't, you know, ever come to fruition because they have a smart GM who makes moves to make them fit. Well, and now as I sit here and I fight what is an adult version of an ice cream headache, because I got to tell you that these Seagrams, people think it's easy. It's all, it all looks easy on social media, sitting here chugging something that has 30 grams of sugar in it. I'll oh. tell you, this is... Oh. We don't actually know that. They don't put the nutritional facts on the it's bottle sugar or box. I've, had this I've Googled it. You Googled it. I've so, Googled it. It's, 30, it's just under 30 grams of sugar in a single bottle. I'm about to be wired like a five-year-old that just ate a full-size Hershey. Lightning round. Oh, my. Yeah, right? Lightning yeah, round. Yeah, the exciting like a part sugar is sugar crash and a hangover at the same time. Is that what it works? We listen, we're professionals. We're both professional podcasters and drinkers. We don't get hangovers. So, with that in mind, lightning round style, twenty-five words or less. Your take on the Bills roster heading into twenty twenty, Bruce? We start with you. Josh Allen has everything he needs. Time to show. All right, Greg. Deepest roster of my adult life best other 52 in the NFL. Hot damn! Boys, why don't you tell everybody, starting with you, Greg, where people can find your work and where they can find you on social media. Uh, come on over, find us at Cover1.net. Find us at the Cover1 Buffalo Podcast. We just rolled out our new program for the year. We're going to have preview shows each Wednesday, the post-game show after the game each Sunday. We're going to have a film breakdown with Eric Turner, Russell Brown, and Nate Geary uh, with both a matchup show and a film breakdown specific to Josh Allen. You're going to get those four every week, all season long. Uh, you can find me at Greg Thompson, G-R-E-G-T-O-M-P-S-E-T-T, and a weird little Twitter factoid, we find finally got the weirdo who had six followers who owned at cover one to give us the the tag after five years and we now actually have at cover one instead of the weird at cover underscore one underscore so we're actually officially cover one on twitter for the first time in five years bruce I'm officially at Bruce Exclusive. I've always been at Bruce Exclusive. I just want to make that very clear. That no nobody out there stole stole my stuff. There is no anything like that. So um, I'm Bruce Nolan. I'm a member of the Buffalo Rumblings podcasting community. I have shows the Bruce Exclusive drop on Thursdays and Fridays every week on the Buffalo Rumblings podcast network that you can subscribe to anywhere that you are currently listening to this podcast you can find me on twitter as mentioned at bruce exclusive on instagram at bruce exclusive folks it was a good there was a good time chris and i think i did okay in orchestrating some conversation because there was questions i had i wanted to hear answered by people a little bit smarter when it comes to the x's nose of football salary cap all of these things Uh, almost for me my final opinions of the 53-man roster I'd say that for my taste, this roster was pretty much what we thought it was going to be when the dust settled after the draft. A roster deep with decent skill on the offensive line and defensive line. Fantastic depth in the trenches. That can't be undersold. It cannot be. And that they have some of the better skill positions in the AFC East to go along with a world-class secondary on defense. 
It still has its warts that, in my opinion, keep it from being a perfect roster. The linebacker depth on this team scares the shit out of me. Behind Milano and Edmonds at middle linebacker and weak side linebacker, all of the understudies combined have exactly one NFL start. Our kicker is a rookie who, despite his obvious leg power, has yet to kick in a high-pressure NFL moment. His talents are purported to be far Chris, guys who are reported to be far more talented than Tyler Bass have crumbled in the face of NFL pressure. Remember Roberto Aguayo? Tampa loved him. They took him with a third-round draft pick because he never missed a kick in collegiate football. And then he got cut because his kicks were like 60-something percent. NFL pressure is different than collegiate, and I, I, I get it. The culture, they, they like his mental makeup. You're still banking on a rookie to make high-pressure kicks. But in my opinion, when you look around the division, I don't see a roster that's as fleshed out from top to bottom as the one the Bills are going to have taking the field this Sunday. And honestly, that's something worth celebrating, Chris. Raise your glass. You've counted on restaurants. Now they're counting on you. And while their dining rooms may be closed, they're still open for delivery with DoorDash. DoorDash is the app that brings you the food you're craving right to your door. Ordering is easy. Open the DoorDash app, choose what you want to eat, and your food will be left safely outside your door with new contactless delivery drop-off settings. Choose from your favorite national restaurants like Chipotle, Wendy's, and the Cheesecake Factory. Many of your favorite local restaurants are still open for delivery, too. Just open the DoorDash app, select your favorite local spot, and your food is on its way. Right now, our listeners can get $5 off and zero delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter code BLUEWIRE. That's $5 off, zero delivery fees on your first order when you download the DoorDash app in the App Store and enter code BLUEWIRE. Don't forget, that's code BLUEWIRE for $5 off your first order with DoorDash. Sunday, Sunday, Sundays are coming back in the NFL with NFLSundayTicket.tv. You can stream every live, out-of-market NFL game every Sunday afternoon on your favorite devices. Plus, Red Zone and DirecTV Fantasy Zone channels. Never miss your favorite teams and favorite players. No matter where you live, NFLSundayTicket.tv is your key to the most glorious Sundays ever. Use the promo code BLUEWIRE at checkout to get 15% off your subscription. Visit NFLSundayTicket.tv and use promo code BLUEWIRE. I just want to give a reminder to our listeners... Multiple people have tweeted and emailed us talking about the promo code that Blue Wire's given us for the Sunday ticket for less than sticker price. Chris, people have approached us to say that because of us throwing it out there, our listeners have been able to get it at a discount, and that's the only reason they bought it. That seems legit. Why why else would you use a coupon? But also, look around. I mean, I get that you want to support your local bars and restaurants, but if you can't or just aren't comfortable going out in that environment, don't let that hold you back from a fantastic season of NFL football. Chris, season ticket holder of 10 years, myself. Yes. You've had him for three. It's supposed to be three. Since you've known me and been watching Sunday football at my house, which is like five years. You've always had the ticket. Always had the ticket. Here's why. Nothing pisses me off more than coming home after a day at the stadium 
and turning on the TV when I just want to relax. I want to watch some football that I have zero emotional attachment to. I just want to watch good football and veg out, relax, decompress. Can't do it because it's a 20 to 3 snoozer featuring the Cleveland Browns. Yeah. That's why the Sunday ticket exists, so that you know that no matter where you are, you can watch good football. It's why I pay for it, and it's why DirecTV has me with the short airs. They have me as a subscriber. I live in Buffalo, where when it snows, I lose TV. If it snows too hard, I lose my TV in fucking Buffalo. And at the same time, they've got me, because I love this Sunday ticket. Yeah, Sunday, Sunday ticket is... Is a thing to have because you know I don't have Sunday ticket here, and nothing is worse. I mean, you don't get to experience this, but nothing is worse when there is three, four o'clock games on, and being in Buffalo where we get two of them—one on Fox, one on CBS—and one is a blowout, and that network also has the rights to the other game, and the local sports director just refuses to switch to the better game. It's infuriating. So with that said, if you're a fan of good football, take this offer because I promise you won't regret it. If if you're eligible for it in your area, go out there and get it because I'll tell you, Chris, at least those people won't have to be tied to the hip to DirecTV, who, yes, I've threatened to burn down their offices before. <laughs> that's, that's, that is, that's, that's not surprising, but, you know, dude, moving on from that Smart People Summit where you have... Bruce, who won't show his face on the internet, and Greg, who has a weird hair part. Dude, week one. It's here. Yes! It's here. We have waited for this for how long? Week one preview, the New York Jets versus the Buffalo Bills. Ooh, Chris, I'm hot for the first time. I, I can hear my microphone being hot for the first time since we started doing this podcast. Yeah, it only took That's you. That's how excited I am about this game. Yeah, it only took you five <laughs> years to get close to the mic, and then uh, now you will back off. Oh, week one, ladies and gentlemen. The time, 1 p.m. Eastern Standard. The place, Buffalo Bills Stadium. Bills um, Stadium. It's um, not Buffalo Bills. I Bills will, Stadium. It doesn't matter what. I feel like The Rock right now. It doesn't matter what your name is. I will never call it that. Deerfield. It might, we're just going to call it The Stadium. It's like in contract language. It's now become the stadium in quotes because I won't, I won't call it Bill's Stadium. I never called it New Era Field unless I was forced to. It's all bullshit. All of it. The Stadium, Orchard Park, New York. On the call, we're going to get Andrew Catalan. He did our preseason games last year. I know that. So. That's where he belongs is the preseason. Well, and then Lofton on as for our analysis. The uh, the officiating crew is going to be Sean Smith. The weather. It doesn't matter because I can't be at the stadium to watch the game. That's I, right. Nobody's going to be there. Do you know how many complaints we've gotten about the fact that I yell? Probably a lot. <laughs> but I will give you credit <laughs> Versus somebody like Nate, who comes on the show, who yells into the microphone, you 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 use the the few brain cells that you have that work to pull away from the microphone to yell. And the spread is the Bills minus six and a half. I like it, Chris. How good does it feel to be sitting here talking about Bills football, knowing that it's actually here? 
it's great, and I like I like that spread. Usually, you get three, just three for being home field advantage, but there is no home field advantage, and then we're given another three and a half points on top of that. I through love all, it. Through all the bullshit that 2020 has left flaming bags of on our proverbial doorsteps, the idea of this moment right here, seeing the Buffalo Bills play football and having it matter, actually seeing them on television executing something of consequence, it's one of the few things outside of my wife and kid and this podcast and your stupid fucking hair that has gotten me through this. Can we all just take a second, take a deep breath, and bask in the warm glow of that? Goose Fraba? It's like fresh baked bread. I just want to take it in. The Buffalo Bills injury report. It starts off, listen, we've got a problem here, Bruin Chris. Cornerback Levi Wallace is questionable. Cornerback Josh Norman is questionable. Taiwan Jones, man who I don't know why he's here in Buffalo. He's questionable. And guard Brian Winters is questionable. Now for the New York Jets. Chris, I mean, Jets injuries. We'd be here all night if I tried to run this list out. Yeah. We're just going to skip right ahead. We're going to bring in our guest for tonight's show, Mr. Joe Caparoso. How are you, Dirk? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. Oh, thank you for joining. For those of you who don't know, you laymen, new to the podcast, whoever you may be, Joe is the owner of TurnOnTheJets.com. He works for Whistle Sports, and he's host, co-host, I guess you could say, of Badlands with Bleacher Report's Connor Rogers, who was recently on our podcast. Joe, it's, it's week one, and here we are back again, opening the season with a chat about our upcoming matchup. On a scale of one to 11, because Spinal Tap has made that the official metric of how, how things work, scale of one to 11, how excited are you for actual football? Well, I'm at 11. Uh, it's just uh, it's a relief we are getting NFL football. Obviously, it's going to be an unconventional season. Uh, no preseason is, is weird. It's going to be very weird for these to be the, the first games where you actually see everyone out there. Uh, but it does seem like we are going to get uh, the schedule as planned. Of course, it's going to be different without fans, but I am very excited to have NFL uh, back in our lives. There's no doubt about that. Now, we're sitting here talking. We were trying to run down the injury report, and I figured there's no point in talking about the Jets. I mean, I'm almost certain. Think about this. It's best to address the 500-pound gorilla in the room right out of the gate. Let's get it out of the way. When I look over the injury list at ESPN.com, the Jets roster stands out as one of the most beat up in the entire AFC, if not the whole NFL. I'm looking at the list, I see eight wide receivers, including some guys that you just literally just signed off the street. Some of them have missed practice time, others are out indefinitely, or for the 2020 season altogether. Per CBS, every wide receiver to make cuts except for Braxton Berrios. And I know there's a bunch of Bills fans out there who just went, who? The hell did you just say? Is that a real name? Everybody but him appears on the injury report. You've got a mix of starters and backups in the defensive front seven. Even your secondary has multiple names on the list, with one of them, Brian Poole, seemingly being held out since the first day of practices due to what's being called, quote-unquote, severe dehydration. When I look over the injury list for the New York Jets, I just have a question. Did Chris Johnson run over a gypsy with his car this offseason or something? Because this seems like something out of a Stephen King novel. I, I don't know what it is, and I blame him for a lot of things, and I can't directly blame him for this, but 
Adam Gase teams have a way of always being banged up and injured. It was the case in Miami. It was the case last year with the Jets, and it's been the case so far this year. Now, again, unconventional training camp. Maybe they're being overly cautious with certain guys. We'll see what happens when the actual season starts. But the way that injuries have plagued this team since he's taken over has been kind of crazy. Uh, this camp really up until the past few days has been uh, insane with what the injury report has looked like, particularly at the wide receiver position, uh, which is, of course, frustrating with a young quarterback with Sam Darnold. They were already very weak at receiver going into camp. The on-paper plan was going to be Rashad Perryman, rookie Denzel Mims, and Jameson Crowder as your top three. Mims and Perryman have missed a ton of time, uh, although both are expected to be available in some capacity week one, and that has led to a lot of Chris Hogan adding Dante Moncrief, um, some something from a guy named Jeff Smith who's been popping around the bottom of the roster, uh, Braxton Berrios, who was our punt returner, last year and actually you know is a very good special teams player to you know give him credit there but look nobody wants to be talking about chris hogan likely starting for their team at this point right now which is probably going to be the case this weekend and it's a weak receiver group that's already now been pummeled with injuries and in the secondary uh it's again you're dealing with guys like pierre desir who they brought over Colts who've had injury problems in their past hopefully Poole is going to be okay he's a key piece for them in the slot and then, you know, at safety, fingers crossed that it does appear again. Marcus May will be okay to go with the newly acquired Bradley McDougal. But it's going to be a very interesting thing to see on both sides of the ball. I think you're going to see a lot of guys rotating through uh, in the secondary and at receiver and a much heavier focus offensively on the Jets using their tight ends and running backs. Will you? So let's start with the offense. If, if we're going to try to preview what the Bills have in store, let's start with the offense. On September 2nd, you tweeted this out. (laughs) Maybe it shakes out better than we expect, but the Jets have fundamentally and inexcusably failed Darnold at wide receiver heading into his third year, especially comparatively to other young quarterbacks. And then you went on to list them. Allen, Mayfield, Murray, Prescott, Locke, Jackson. You gave all these reasons why these guys were in better situations than your current quarterback. And most of it starts with the GM. Now, if this is, if this curse-fueled injury crisis of yours hasn't done enough damage to your roster, the point you made there is pretty valid. It doesn't seem like going throughout the course of training camp and through roster cutdowns and now seeing what your final roster looks like, that there's a lot of legitimate proven weapons on your roster. Do you think that's fair? 100% sir. I think there is no receiver or tight end uh, on this roster who has ever exceeded uh, 900 yards in a season or, or ever been uh, a pro bowl or an all pro guy. You know, you look around at what Buffalo has with Diggs and Brown. Those are guys who have been over a thousand yards. You look at Arizona, Hopkins and Fitzgerald, thousand yard receivers. Um, Mayfield with Odell and Landry, thousand yard receivers. You know, Perryman had a nice four game stretch for the Bucks last year. You know, 600, 700-yard guy, Crowder, very good slot receiver, 700-ish yard guy at his best, maybe 800, uh, but not a 1,000-yard guy. Mims is a second-round rookie. You're asking a lot for any rookie uh, who's a second-rounder to come in and be a starter, never mind when you have to deal with an injury and have to deal with such a weird offseason. Uh, and then, you know, Hogan and Moncrief are guys who are free agents for a reason at, at that point in August. So no 
proven guy who you say, okay, that guy could go out and get us 1,100 yards receiving. He's done it before. I'll do it again. We all love Chris Herndon. A ton of talent, ton of potential. Didn't play at all last year. And even as a rookie, was, you know, a 500-ish yard guy. Does he have talent to maybe be a guy who goes and gets 700, 800 yards in a season? Yes. It's hard to say or count on him to do that until you see him do it. So when you look at Darnold's supporting cast, uh, away from Le'Veon Bell, who obviously has a strong resume, but there's some questions about his fit with Adam Gase, there's just no names that jump off the paper. It's, it's kind of similar uh, to the group that you, you, know, you see in New England, where you just don't have any skill position guys with that big resume. At least they have you know, Edelman, although he's a little you know, up there in age now, but for the Jets, there's just no one who jumps off the page. Now, one of your guys, podcast machine Scott Mason, he, he was down here the other night and essentially accused the Jets front office of relying on Sam Darnold to be Peyton Manning in the sense that he's been asked to make mediocre players look great, but he's not yet there in terms of his overall talent. Now, to your eye, what you've heard, what you've seen, what you've gotten reports on, where is Sam Darnold heading into Because I'll tell you this, I'm a part of a lot of... I, I hate social media because I feel like it brings people together, but people are terrible. (laughs) So it breeds a lot of nonsense. But for a sports fan, it helps you get a pulse of what opposing fan bases are thinking, but you also get a lot of the fringe. And I hear a lot of nonsense from Jets fans talking about how they're going 11-5. They're, they're, they're they're quietly the, the, the dark horse in the AFC. When you look, if they're going to make good on any of that talk, it's going to be on the back of Sam Darnold because they kind of, to Scott's point, they've made, they've built a very weak cast around him and it seems like they're putting a lot of pressure on him to carry the load. Where is he in his development so far? He's one of the hardest players to evaluate uh, in the NFL in my mind. You, you know, you read 10 different opinions on him and uh, they're all wildly all over the map. And I think Darnold is a guy who, has missed time both seasons. He missed three starts as a rookie, three starts last year due to the mono, which is a, a tough thing to analyze in terms of how it impacted him before the sickness and after it. Uh, he's dealt with a poor coaching staff both years. He's, he's switched coaches between his first and second year, and he's dealt with a poor supporting cast. That being said, he's still made plenty of mistakes himself, but also had plenty of really good moments, too, that keep Jet fans excited. He played very well uh, against Dallas last year and beat them. He got hot for a three-game streak where the Jets beat the Giants, Washington, and Oakland, who at the time was still in the mix for a playoff spot. So you've seen he had that four-game stretch at the end of his rookie year that got Jet fans excited about, which included a win, uh, a comeback win in Buffalo from uh, a few years back. So there's been flashes and signs that he has the physical talent to be a franchise quarterback. He's very young. He's been the youngest starter in the league uh, from when he started from day one as a rookie. There's certainly been some ugly moments and ugly games, but he hasn't gotten the most help. So I do think Darnold is a guy who he got better from year. uh, He got better in year two compared to year one. I think he will get better in year three compared to year two. I'm not sold. He's going to make that quote unquote leap that we've seen some other young quarterbacks make where they exponentially improve their stats, but I do think he will continue to improve. Is he ready to carry one of the worst supporting casts in the NFL to the playoffs? I don't know, and that's kind of the question uh, around this team because they're not, even with seven playoff teams, 
they're not going to win enough games to make the playoffs unless Darnold really puts the offense on his back because last year 7-9 and nine was a little bit fluky. We know the circumstances of how they won that Week 17 game. Uh, they beat up on some pretty bad quarterbacks and really won on the backs of their defense and special teams. It's a hard thing to repeat. So, you know, Darnold could improve from last year, and this, this could still be a 6-10 and 10 team. He's going to need to take a massive, massive, massive leap, which might not be fair to ask him to do when he's this young with this little help if they're going to be a 9-7, and 10-6 and six win team. So I do think he – I want to see him be the quarterback next year, barring any an unmitigated disaster, because I hopefully want to see him with a different, better coaching staff and a better supporting cast. Uh, but in terms of this year, I think he'll be good. Do I think he's going to be a top 8-10 to 10 quarterback in the league? No. Do I think he'll be a bottom five quarterback, which he was in some statistical categories last year? No. I think he'll probably be somewhere in that 14 to 18 range, depending on how uh, some injuries shake out and how their schedule shakes out. So when you're looking forward to the week one matchup, knowing what you know about Darnold and knowing how just there's this lack of talent, and then you and I, we went back and forth about it on social media, and you, I think some, some of your compatriots too, and Connor Rogers agree with us. Just about how this lack of a preseason has damaged the Jets in terms of their offensive line, who you're starting five new players who have never played next to each other. The fact that that's a dynamic, that now they have to gel, but they don't even get a preseason to do it. They have to react in real time. Chris, you saw the Buffalo Bills struggle against the Jets in week one last year with a shuffled offensive line, and they had a preseason. Yeah, I don't think the uh, I don't I think that'll factor into uh, this Sunday with the, with the Jets having no chemistry between any of those five players. Well, so with that in mind, who or what when you're talking about Matt trying to match up with the Buffalo Bills, who do you see the offense on Sunday flowing through? Because you're talking about an unshuffled offensive line, you have Le'Veon Bell is no slouch. I don't care what anybody says. Oh, he's lost a step. He was never that good to begin with. It's all bullshit. He is a phenomenally talented running back, but he needs a group of guys to block for him. And so with that in mind, knowing what you know about the offensive line and how that may hinder Le'Veon Bell, who do you think the offense on Sunday runs through? I mean, I think in a perfect world, you would want the offense to run through Bell and Herndon as much as possible. Those are the hardest matchups the Jets have because Herndon at his best, can move all over the formation and is a tough guy to match up with. Same deal with Bell. He can't just hurt you as a runner. Use right, he can really hurt you as a receiver. And those two guys can help cover some of the holes that the Jets have at that position. So can you get creative with Bell in the screen game? Can you get him a favorable matchup on the outside to steal a big play? I would be running as much as I can through those guys. Now the problem is, is that I was not crazy, and many people were not crazy about how Gase utilized Bell last year. And there's some very valid concerns, which you guys should be familiar with, that (laughs) this is going to be more of a running back by committee situation with Bell and Frank Gore, who Gase brought over here. And I remember week one against the Bills last year, Devin Singletary had four carries for 70 yards, and Gore had, I think, 11 carries for 18 yards. Yes. Is this going to be a kind of situation where we see maybe Bell has 12 carries for 50 yards and Gore has 10 carries for 14 yards. I don't know. That's a fair open question. I think in terms of targets 
we've seen a lot of Jamison Crowder, who's a good player. And, and again, from week one last year, I think he had like 14 catches for 75 yards or something. I worry about the Jets leaning a little too much on Crowder in the short passing game, throwing behind the sticks on third and long, and running too much on the early downs. My hope is that they spread it out, quick releases for Darnold, come out a little more up-tempo just to mix it up. Their offensive line is going to be something to overcome no matter what. They definitely have more talent than they did last year, but to be gelling in so many new starters against one of the better defensive fronts in the league uh, with Buffalo week one and the Niners, maybe the best defensive front in the league week two, is a big challenge. It's going to be a problem for them early in the year. There's no way around it. I think it will get better as the year goes on. But the Jets, they have to do better than coming out and running Bell in the A-gap Second and nine, then run him in the A-gap again. Second and eight, throwing a three-yard pass to you know, Crowder on you know, third and eight. They have to find a way to attack down the seams with Herndon and Bell. They have to pick their spots to hopefully be able to take a shot down the field to Perryman if he's healthy. Uh, and look, even if their offense improves, Buffalo's a very good defense. I think their path to winning is still probably a lower-scoring, ugly game. I think most people are going to pick this game to go under. A lot of these games have been sort of this lower scoring weird uglier game the week one game last year was very weird you really can't you know kind of throw out the week 17 game because the bills were playing their backups um i don't, I don't know, know if we, I, I, i'll I say this i think it will be a lower scoring game but we'll see joe you talk about that that week 17 game i was leaving that game we were leaving at halftime because we were like what are we doing here we already clinched a playoff spot it's pouring rain why are we still here and now the people who have the seasons next to us they constantly sell them. So we always end up sitting next to away fans. And there was a guy and his like two younger kids, probably 10, 12. Like he had like three young kids, probably all in that age bracket, 10 to 12. And I looked over at him as we're getting ready to leave. It's in the third quarter when it, the Bills are still somehow in this game and the Jets aren't running away with it. And he's got his face in his hands. And I look at him and I go, You all right, man? And he goes, I drove six and a half hours for this. <laughs> he goes, I drove six and a half hours because I wanted my kids to see what I thought was going to be a slam dunk win because he's trying to get them to be Jets fans. That was not the game if you're trying to indoctrinate your kids into Jets fandom, was it? No. I mean, that was a, that was a tough one for anyone to sit through. <laughs> and it was a preseason game, you know what I mean? And it was an ugly preseason game at that. So it's hard to take much away from that. Now, the Jets... The way they played against Buffalo week one for the first three and a half quarters, that could be a formula. The problem is you're not going to have C.J. Mosley again. Uh, and that game really turned when C.J. Mosley left. And, and that, you know, there's a reason Buffalo's six and a half point favorites. Uh, they have a far superior roster. They have a better coach in my mind. Uh, the only variable, I think, could be the quarterback position. If Donald can outplay Allen, then the Jets have a chance. And these division games tend to be close and weird. And that could be a pathway to winning. Can he find a way to make more plays than Allen or make less mistakes than Allen and let the Jets hang around? Then maybe there's a formula for an upset there. But well, if, you if want the to Jets be- are going to be conservative on offense and Allen's going to get going with his legs and Singletary's dashing them in the running game, you know, this could be a pretty ugly, boring 21-7, 21-6 type game. Well, and if the, to prevent that, you're going to have to make some hay on the defense. And when I look at the Jets' defense, 
Before we let you go, I have to ask some questions here because we know that Greg Williams is going to have an aggressive game plan in place on Sunday. It's his trademark. Exotic pressure packages are his calling card. And it's the reason that he can walk around saying ridiculous things like he still gets head coaching job offers and just doesn't take them. (laughs) He walks around saying these things. No one can call it a slam dunk and that he's a liar because his defensive schemes have worked. Everywhere he's been a coach, his schemes have worked. So with no preseason to go off of, there's a couple storylines here that I want to pick your brain about. And it's both starting interior linebackers, Patrick and Wasser. C.J. Mosley, like you said, he's already opted out. He's gone. Now you're talking about on the injury front, on Wasser and Terrell Basham, they're already ruled out for this game. And then on the defensive line, the group that's returning, they're, they're not slouches, but I don't know that they're the best in the AFC. I don't know if they're the most daunting group you're ever going to You're ever going to get. You have Quinn and Williams, who's finally, I guess, turning into the player that he was supposed to be when he came out of Alabama. I guess, what is it that this group is going to be on defense this year, and how do you see them trying to stop the Buffalo Bills? It's a good question, because Greg Williams overachieved last year. I was skeptical of the hire, and he was very impressive. The Jets were 10th in DVOA, despite... Losing Mosley in week one, no Avery Williamson, a revolving door in the secondary, and a pretty disappointing rookie year from Quinn and Williams. Now, this year, they get Williamson back at inside linebacker, but uh, won't have C.J. Mosley again. Uh, it, it will be Quinn in second year, so hopefully he takes that jump in some way. I think they have, on paper, uh, a better situation at corner, potentially, if Pierre Desir could stay healthy, but we'll see. And of course, the biggest thing, no more Jamal Adams. And, you know, Greg Williams used Jamal Adams all over the place as a blitzer, and he was really their best pass rusher last year, among other things. So I think, like you said, Williams is going to get creative. I think there's going to be a ton of different players rotating through in that back seven uh, with the Jets trying to throw some different blitz packages at Allen, who can't hurt you with his legs, but still struggles with accuracy and struggles with turnovers. And the Jets, you know, forced him into, I think, four turnovers in that week one game last year and a couple of years ago forced him into two or three, and that's how they were able to, to able to win. So I think that's going to be the plan again. Can you throw some confusing blitzes at Allen? Can you make him make a few mistakes and turn those into points? If the Jets can be healthy enough on defense, you know, Pierre Desir, Blasson Austin, they, they've had their moments at outside corner. Poole's a good slot corner if he's properly hydrated and out there. And Bradley McDougal and May, not Jamal Adams, but a very competent safety duo. So there, this is not a totally barren group in the back seven. The pass rush has to come from the interior with Quentin Williams uh, and another mix of guys like Henry Anderson and Steve McClendon who are still there. They have good depth and versatility up front. Um, they have to force turnovers. They have to win the turnover battle or they just don't have a, they can't win this game. They're not, they can't go toe to toe with Buffalo. Buffalo has more talent up and down the roster. Uh, the way to win this game is, does Josh Allen throw a pick six? Does he lose a fumble <laughs> deep in their territory that leads to easy points? That, that's the pathway. And it, again, it's probably going to be on Greg Williams and that unit unless Darnold has one of his better games and, you know, finds a way to really out Allen and puts up you know, 275, 300, 325 yards against one of the best defenses in the NFL, which is a tall task to do on the road to start the season. That is a huge ask. And it's funny because I saw on Twitter today, somebody tweeted out, yeah, because I know what I I know Greg Williams from watching film, just watching Greg Williams defenses. 
he's got that traditional man coverage on the outside, and then he likes to send pressure on the inside. Or like you said, he'll he'll scheme up some exotic blitz blitz packages to try to confuse, especially young quarterbacks. That's where that's kind of how Bill Belichick has made his bones. He makes life hard because he confuses young quarterbacks. And Greg Williams has kind of I'm not comparing him to Billy, trust me, but he has a streak of that to the way he calls a defensive game plan. He's aggressive and it. For young guys who can't process quickly enough, it does come back to bite them in the ass. And we saw it last week, or excuse me, last year, when the Bills played the Jets in week one. But then you look at what the upgrades we've made to our skill positions, and I see that we've got a much upgraded wide receiver group with Stephon Diggs. And now we have Brown as a legitimate number two. And one of the questions that I had coming into this was, is he going to try to run as much press defense? I don't know how he's going to do it. But I saw a tweet, and somebody said that Blashawn Austin, they were like, hey, Blashawn as your number two cornerback versus John Brown. How do Bills fans think about that? And my response was, Blashawn, bless you. God bless America. It don't matter. John Brown with 50 yards and a touchdown with that smoking LeBron James meme. <laughs> because I don't know what the, outside of, if you don't double team somebody, I don't know what the Jets secondary can really bring to the table in terms of shutting down all three of our passing threats. Are you confident that that defensive group can make some sort of a dent in the momentum that this, I mean, we have so many different threats now. We're so much more multifaceted than we've been. Chris, is it fair to say in the last decade? Yes. This is the most weapons we've had. Do you think that Greg Williams has the horses to try and keep up with us? I mean, look, on paper, it is uh, it's a tough matchup, and I think again, it, there's not you can't you can't say they have the corners to match up individually with all these guys. I don't mind the matchup with Poole and and Beasley potentially, but on the outside, on paper, it's an advantage for Buffalo. And Buffalo was also able to run the ball well with Singletary. Uh, last year, week one. So it has to be more so, can you force Allen into making mistakes? I, I do think there's going to be opportunities to hit big plays down the field. If Brown is open for a 60-yard touchdown, does Allen hit him? Or does he overthrow him? Or does he underthrow him and it turns into an interception? That, in my mind, is the only thing that could really swing this game. And that's how they almost, that's how they you know, should have won. They were up 16 nothing. That's how they should have won last year. They were winning the turnover battle. They couldn't fully capitalize it on offense. And that's probably the only path. You know, Austin, a lot of physical talent, looked good at times down the stretch last year. Tall order to get, you know, left on an island with a guy like John Brown or Stephon Diggs, same for Pierre Desir, a guy who's had some nice moments. But, you know, those are 2,000 yard receivers on the outside. And that doesn't factor in what else Buffalo could do with, uh, in the middle of the field with some of their other options. So on paper, six and a half feels right for Buffalo. But, if the Jets could win the quarterback battle, it's a divisional game, maybe it ends up being a little closer. But on paper, if Buffalo is going to be a, the contender that I think a lot of people think they are this year, and like I'm sure a lot of Bills fans think they're going to think, think they are, this needs to be a game that you know they would they should handle, right? I mean, I, I think most people are picking the Bills to win nine to eleven games, and most people are picking the Jets to win six or you know five, six, maybe seven games. Uh, so the matchups are there in Buffalo's favor. Allen and Darnold are really the two, you know, only X factors here that could swing it the other way. Your prediction for a final score, sir? I am going to take the Jets to narrowly cover but lose. I do think division games tend to be close. I think Darnold will play well, 
on not do anything that's going to kill Buffalo and you know get rid of their advantage feels like a you know like a twenty to sixteen type game maybe you know twenty three sixteen I think Buffalo will feel in control for most of the game the Jets will find a way to hang around and cover but I'll take the Bills let's set, let's settle on twenty one sixteen. Joe, we appreciate you coming on the show and joining us tonight. Tell everybody where they can find your work on social media. Tell them a little bit about Badlands over on Turning the Jets and where they can find everything your network has to offer. So uh, our writing is available at turnonthejets.com. I could be followed on Twitter at Jay Caparoso. And you can check out our subscription podcast hosted by myself and Connor Rogers at turnonthejets.podbean.com. We'll have weekly episodes all season long. Uh, so definitely check that out and excited to have the season back. All right. We really appreciate Joe Caparoso giving it, giving us a little bit of time tonight. He's on Twitter at Jay Caparoso, founder of turnonthejets.com. Man, I love those guys. There's a reason we work with them. It's because they're consummate professionals. And, and we're, we're not. not. And we're not. And they still carve out times in their schedule because who doesn't like a little shit talk, a little beer? Come on. It's a good time. The Rock Pile Report. But with that, Chris, our very first of the 2020 season, it's the keys to victory. Wow, it's a lot of keys. Bigger the keychain, more powerful the man. And I have some keys for you. The first one, Bills fans. Defensive line pressure. Now, I've told Joe and other Jets podcasters all offseason that I thought that their team would be the most damaged by the lack of a preseason just because of who they're going to face to open up the year here in 2020. I mean, Chris, you're going up against the Buffalo Bills, the San Francisco 49ers, and the Colts, and the Denver Broncos all in the first month of football. That's, they, they know how to get after it in the front seven. They've got good linebackers. They've got solid defensive lines, if not all-world defensive lines, if you're talking about San Francisco. This weekend, the Bills have an opportunity to start that pattern off right. Now, their offensive line might be a little bit better athletically. I mean, we talked to Connor Rogers about that, his co-host over there at Badlands. But we're talking about five new guys playing together for the very first time and some skill players suiting up for them who are either not 100% or literally just came off the street. Just came off the... Chris Hogan, Chris. That's something that I would be excited about back in 20... What? 12? 2015. 2015, I'd be pumped about Chris Hogan. Yeah. <laughs> not now. Not today. Hey, did you know he plays lacrosse? I did not know that Chris Hogan played lacrosse. <laughs> <laughs> so with that in mind, we are also fielding pass rush talent that outside of A.J. Epinesa and Quentin Jefferson all have familiarity with the scheme. All of them. For the Bills to make good on our promise to Joe that this game gets ugly... It's going to mean exploiting that lack of cohesion on that offensive line, specifically from the defensive tackle position and in the A and B gaps. He said it. He talked about how he, his fear is that they're going to involve Frank Gore a lot. Just based on last year's experience with the way they rotated, uh, argue, it's not even an argument, Chris. Bell was the most talented running back on that team, and he still felt the need to try to rotate him. With that said, if he's going to run Frank Gore, 
all we have to do is shut down the A and B gaps, you're going to pretty much take away what Gore has at his disposal at this point. And if we can do that, but then also from a pass rush standpoint, we want to get Darnold moving from the pocket, where he's going to have to rely on just a week or two of chemistry between himself and his skill players to make adjustments on the fly and attempt to orchestrate that passing game. With that lack of consistency on their part and the cohesion that this Bills front seven has, Chris, I'm calling it. I, I want to, I'm seeing a bloodbath by the fourth quarter. I think one thing you failed to, to mention in this defensive line pressure thing is what we did with free agency with Jefferson and Addison and drafting Epineza is one thing that I'll look for is where are all these people going to be lining up? Because we do have a lot of versatility on that defensive line. Look at you! I have a host who knows five, a co-host slash producer who knows football. I'm top. Never call me a co-host. <laughs> Always refer to me as the producer. You don't want to be a co-host? No, because I'm not. I'm the producer. I love it. I've got another one for you, folks. Strap it on. Knox, Singletary, and Beasley against the Jets linebackers. Now, we touched early on, and we didn't really dig into it, just talking about the damage injuries have done to the Jets linebacker core, especially if backup Terrell Basham can't play. Chris C.J. Mosley, the, their, their prize free agent from, what, a year last, last offseason? Yeah. He played all of one game for him? Yeah, got injured. Torres groin, they slow played it, never came back. If Terrell Basham can't play, they're in a lot of trouble. Because when I look at the replacements, I see a trend develop looking at their coverage stats from last year. Now, Chris, I'm going to run this down for you, and I wish I wish I had made a chart just to see the look on your face. Avery Williamson, the guy that every Jets fan is excited about, a 71.6% completion percentage allowed, 7.7 yards per target, and three touchdowns. Now, that was when he last played a full season back in 2018. He's since torn his ACL. So, Chris, he's not going to be a better athlete than when he tore his ACL, right? Correct. Okay. Harvey Lange, 66.7% completion percentage allowed, 9.3 yards per target. James Burgess, 67.7% completion percentage allowed, 7.2 yards per target, three touchdowns. Jordan Jenkins, rush linebacker, a blitzer mostly. 85% 85% completion percentage allowed, 3.4 yards per target. Neville Hewitt, 51% completion percentage allowed, 5.4 yards per target, and a whopping four touchdowns allowed last year. Chris, the players occupying the middle and the edges of that 3-4 defense for the Jets this Sunday are atrocious in coverage. Even the rookie every Jets fan admittedly liked last year, Blake Cashman, allowed a 76.9% completion percentage and more than five yards per target. Chris, you can't fix that in a single offseason because none of these guys are rookies. So with that in mind, it's hard to forecast them getting worlds better in the course of a single year, especially an offseason as jacked up as this one's been. You haven't played anybody except for your own shitty offense. So with that in mind, 
I think that the Jets' safeties are going to have their hands full, patrolling the deep halves of the field with both Diggs and Brown, capable of winning early in their routes and both winning with speed. Do you agree with me there? Yeah, that that all sounds about right. Okay. So on the boundaries, those safeties are going to have no choice but to just to watch our number two, number two, and number one wide receiver because they don't know what their cornerbacks are going to do, and they don't know how often those wide receivers, both thousand yard receivers last year, actually I don't know if Diggs did make a thousand, but it doesn't matter. They're both talented guys, and if they break contain, the safeties have to be their answer for it. Yeah, which their safeties are not as good because. Somebody left. Somebody left and Somebody then left. celebrated I, on Instagram. I, don't I know. forgot who left the Jets. That was good. <laughs> my mind, it escapes my mind. Uh, call in. Call in if you know it. <laughs> but what that means for Buffalo is that more often than not, especially if we can connect on a few early passes to either one of those wide receivers down the field, these linebackers are going to be abandoned by the safeties to fend for themselves against our tight ends, our slot wide receiver, and our running backs out of the backfield. Chris, I love this matchup as a chance for Knox and Singletary to do a lot of damage. They're both athletic enough to, do, to exploit coverage mismatches, Singletary laterally, and Knox vertically up the seams. And Beasley has made his entire career out of just finding soft spot in zone coverage. So we heard Joe earlier talk about how aggressive Williams was going to have to be with his uh, defensive play calling. Yep. Good luck, because none of these guys can cover. You might as well blitz them all. Because if you leave them on an island, our, our, our skill positions are just going to eat them alive. And, and there might be a lot of soft zone if they are actually forced because of Allen's chemistry early on in the game with Brown and Diggs, if he can get off to a rapport with them early, you could see these linebackers just made to be sitting ducks out there for Knox and for Singletary to take advantage of. Now, I know that that's probably going to upset some people, Chris, because let me ask you, as a Bills fan, I know you're hot to trot about Stephon Diggs. Everybody is. How much are you itching to see him play, get the ball, see what he can do? I, I think it's a, it's a fifty fifty thing with for me at least. I, I'd love to see him catch the ball and see how he, you know, gets open running his routes. But then knowing that we also have digs is going to allow for him to be double covered and allowing others in our receiving core to to get open. You know. It's, John Brown is actually, I believe, is actually a true number two. So it'll be, it'll be inter- interesting to see how he's covered uh, from the Jets. And you know, I know, I know, you know, we've talked about it before with you know uh, McDermott and Bean limiting rookies playing. But is Gabe Davis going to have a significant role in the offense on Sunday based on how well the media has loved him during camp? That's, that's, and I guess that's the thing is there's so much here. There's so much here for fans of the skill players. I feel like the average fan, Chris, would come into this game and go, this is the game where we have to pound these wide receivers. I'm so happy. I'm so excited. I want to see Gabe Davis flash. I want to see Stephon Diggs get an 80-yard touchdown catch. I'm going to tell you that my last key to victory, it's going to disappoint a lot of you. 
You have to roll your running backs. I know that you all want to see Josh Allen light up the scoreboard. Utilizing these new toys in Diggs and in Davis and all of this stuff, I hear it, but I don't think it's the quote-unquote answer. This is a game that, barring some catastrophic systemic breakdowns by the Bills, or some sort of space jam scenario where the Jets somehow steal the powers of the entire Kansas City Chiefs offense, this shouldn't turn into a firefight. So with that in mind, I want to see the Bills getting a lot of reps in for Singletary and Moss in this one. Chris, you never know when when that's going to come in handy. You have two young running backs with a lot of rust. One hasn't played since college. They have no experience with NFL football. You have one who hasn't run a football in live action in months. This is the game where, listen, I, I want to see the Bills getting a ton of reps for those two players and showing that effective, efficient, short yardage running. I want to see it because, Chris, that... You can talk about all the skill positions in the world. That's what the Browns built last year. The Browns went out and got the best skill, the best wide receivers money could buy. And it blew up in their fucking faces. Why? Because they didn't know how to play in the trenches on defense or offense. And on offense, landing those short runs, Chris, but when I say short runs, I mean like the four or five yard runs through traffic where the defense throws the house at you and you still squeak out a first down. Those are like body blows in a boxing match. And last year, the Bills were sixth in the NFL in rushing attempts. Every one of them saps a little bit more from your opponent's linebackers. Until late in the game, those guys are just out. They're out of gas. They're out of fight. Marshawn Lynch was famous for it. He goes, hey, if I run through my opponent's face mask again and again and again with as much aggression as I have, by the fourth quarter, he doesn't want it. Marshawn Lynch was the one who put that out there, and I'd argue he's the best to ever do it in that regard of just the demoralizing running back, at least the best in recent history. So with that in mind, I look at Singletary and Moss, and I say, I want to see this. I want to see linebackers from the Jets, these backups, these under-talented guys who shouldn't even be on an NFL field. I want to see them with hands on hips. I want to see oxygen on the sidelines. And if this is a game where their offense can't stay on the field, which, Chris, we just got done talking to Joe about how that offense is going to have some significant hurdles on Sunday, didn't we? Yes. Okay. With that in mind, how demoralizing would it be if our running backs just ran train on them? Uh, Yeah, but uh, based on your research, again, the snaps for rookies, is it really going to be Moss or will that be Yeldon? It's going to be interesting. But rolling your running backs, even if they get all three involved in the carries, here's what I know. That approach where you just bury people under carry after carry after carry, especially when their linebacker cords aren't good, it's demoralizing. And last year, that approach helped pave the way for the Bills to be seventh in rushing yards per game. They had 130 because they were sixth in rushing attempts. This game, facing a good but not elite defensive line, a non-NFL starting linebacking core, this is the perfect opportunity to get both of our young running backs, I'd say north of 10 carries per man. Not only to help Moss get acclimated to the NFL game, but to exacerbate every offensive mistake the Jets are going to make by punishing their defense. You do that well enough, you you could break these guys by halfway through the third quarter. 
Yeah, that yeah, that man. That's how we're gonna win football game. Uh, we're run gonna, the ball. We're gonna run the ball. And it's not ball b a l l. It's b a w. It's b a five w's and an l. Run the ball. Yeah, it's gonna be like watching Alabama a couple years ago. Where they just pound that rock, and then they can give you it, tell? Then Alabama? they give. Then they give it to Bo Scarborough, and he just finishes people off, just like. How Bama does it. That's how Bama does it. Roll Tide. We can just run the ball down them throats. Can you tell that I'm an Alabama football fan? Yeah, because you think every Alabama player is going to be amazing in the NFL. Okay. You thought D. Milner was going to be amazing. Is he playing on Sunday? I don't think so. Because he's a scab. He's a scab. I believe in running the football. And for as excited as Bills fans may be about our wide receivers, this is the game where you want to see some rookies and some young players get some touches. And you want to beat this team up. You don't just want. You don't want to get into a firefight. What you want to do is you want to punch them, and you want to punch them and punch them and punch them until they fold. You want to prove that you can do it, and you want to see what Zach Moss brings to the table. I think that's more important establishing at this point in the season because we already know what Stefan Diggs is. We'll save save that for another day. And who knows? Maybe even that type of offensive approach opens up the the play action game, Chris. Number one in downfield passing and number one in contested catches, Stephon Diggs. I like to hear that. That's what I like to hear. <laughs> Your predictions, sir, are first of the season. Uh, I mean, well, you can probably tell throughout the entire show that we're taking the the over six and a half spread. I mean, I think we're going to – I don't think that this game will be close. Um like the first game of this season, there could be a chance that at halftime, Adam Gase just quits. <laughs> <laughs> that that could happen. He could just like I'm not cut. I'm not cut out for this. Are you talking about um, the 2018 home opener when Vontae Davis just decided at halftime? Yeah. <laughs> nah, 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 man. I'm done. I'm done. I'm I said, hey, this is a young man's game. Yeah. No, Gase. Gase could quit at halftime. I'm 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 gonna go twenty seven to thirteen Bills win. You know what's scary? My prediction twenty six thirteen. Ooh. This is the same Jets team that rolled in here and barely beat our backups thirteen to six last year. Except they might actually be a less talented version of that team, given the injuries, the lack of cohesion on the offensive line. The Bills have been rough out of the gate the last two years with Allen at the helm. They're due to have a hot start. Two years in a row, they've they've come. Chris, that wasn't. I wouldn't blame Allen for that. That was the Nathan Peterman show that he got stuck into in oh, Baltimore yeah, against Baltimore. Yeah. Uh, well, um, I know a lot of a lot of. Our audience knows that, you know, we do have a, a ton of Seagrams because they used to be at somebody's house that, you know, <laughs> we, won't, we won't name names. My, oh, Captain, but, my Captain. Yeah. Oh, we do have a ton of Seagrams to rip through. So it, it, with us kind of agreeing on the spread and one point off of a prediction score, uh, why don't we, if you're up, oh. for, if you're up for, if you're up for it. The adventurous listeners. The, the infamous... I'm calling Josh Allen 300 yards passing. Wow! You, taking, you want that? You want that? You want that? I'm calling the under. You, I'm taking the under all day there, on this. There's your, I, there's, there we go. There's, our first Seagram's bet of the year. Our first Bills game of the year. This is the best. Folks, Bills football is back. I can't believe it. I can't wait for it to kick off. 
I feel like this podcast is finally hitting its stride, Chris. It only took five gotten, years. We find no, no, but we finally gotten back to doing what we do best: two-hour podcast, talking about football games. But we gotta get the hell out of here because we've bored these people to death. Make sure you check out this week's AFC East Roundup. We're hosting three of the division's most talented podcasters. We Listen, we like to talk shit. We love it. And so in that way, we've developed a podcast that's going to host some of the best talents from around the division. Just so we can talk every week about the state of the division. Since This is the first time it's been up for grabs since podcasting existed. Chris, I can't wait till Sunday. But we got to get the hell out of here. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger. Huge shout-out to Bruce Nolan, to Greg Thompson, and to Joe Caparoso. But this has been the Rockpile Report. The wait is finally over. Football is back. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Bet BetOnline is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, divisions, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to Bet Online today and take advantage of all the great sign up bonuses. Don't forget to use the promo code BLUEWIRE at betonline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word, Bet Online, your online sports book experts. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S. based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.